for the Athletic Podcast Network, this is The Update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to Dave DeFour, who covers the NBA for The Athletic, about games one and two of the NBA Finals. The Warriors evened it up with a big blowout win over the Celtics on Sunday night. They get ready for game three tonight from Boston, where the series switches to TD Gardens Arena. All stuff we can talk about with Dave DeFour, who joins me next. Today is Wednesday. June 8th. It's a pleasure to welcome back to the podcast. Dave DeFore covers the NBA for The Athletic, and he joins us frequently here on The Update. Uh, Good time to get into it with Dave. What's going on, man, after two games of the NBA Finals? I mean, listen, dude, this has been... What do we want to call this? This is like a a Floyd Mayweather fight, you know? There's some flurries (laughs) here and there, but a lot of defense. Yeah, but the defense that's led to huge offense. I mean, you know, if you're a Boston fan and you watch game one and you come away with game one or from game one going, all right, this is what we thought our team could do. They played maybe the most complete quarter I've ever seen any team play in the NBA Finals in that fourth quarter to come back from down 12 to beat the Warriors. However, you look at game two and you go, yeah, okay, they had their defense early. They, they scrapped a little bit. The the officiating was kind of all over the place. If you're a Warriors fan, you, you can't talk about uh, the officials pushing it one way or the other against you because clearly Draymond got away with a whole lot but my takeaway from two games of this is after three quarters in both games the Warriors look pretty dominant and so Boston's played one great quarter but but other than that they're they're I mean they're tied 1-1 which is great but uh, I don't know how confident you are after uh, what we saw in game two I would say this if you throw out the garbage time fourth quarter from game two you have three quarters that are kind of blowouts. Two of them, the third quarters for the Warriors in back-to-back games. And, and even the first one, they, they won by 14, right? Like, I mean, it's 38-24 was the score in that third quarter of game one. And then the Boston quarter where they just couldn't miss. They were shooting into the ocean. But the first half of both of these games has been a two-point lead for Boston and then a two-point lead for Golden State. So I actually think that the shooting variance is really the difference in the series so far, because these defenses are both pretty locked in. Now, the Warriors seem to figure things out like they normally do, right? Poke, 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 looking for the big hole that they can blow open. And they've done that now twice in the third quarter. I would argue that what we saw in the third quarter of Game 2 was very similar to what we saw in the first quarter of Game 1, where the pickup points on Steph Curry were just too low. They And, and part of this is Rob Williams just can't move was not a great Horford game, and too much Tice, right? Like, they were just playing drop against Steph Curry, and drop is death against Steph Curry. So I'm with you there that the Celtics had this one crazy shooting quarter, and that's how they won game one. And we're unlikely to see that again from Boston. But they still haven't had a Tatum game. You know, 28 points on whatever he shot with not a lot of assists, like, that's not a Tatum game. He had 21 in the first half and then got shut down in the third quarter when the Warriors were doing all that work. So I think that Boston still has more in the tank, but you're onto something there with the Warriors have kind of been playing their game, right? Right, and I think that's the concern if you're Boston is is you go, okay, we, we had you know another worldly quarter, and it was really impressive. I mean, I, I was taken aback. As a Warrior fan, I'm sitting there, I'm like, this is unreal what they're doing in this fourth quarter. That said, Warriors come and they just sort of flip the script on them in game two. Also, Jordan Poole, who was kind of the goat for the Warriors defensively, and he, he gets into that trap a little bit where he, he likes to dribble, 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 instead of looking up and keeping his head up and passing, and then sometimes he'll get a uh, sort of a wild hair up his nose, and he'll He'll throw a, a no-look pass through the legs somewhere, and it just trickles out of bounds. However, he ignited them in that third quarter, I'd say, in game two. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and this is actually an awful circumstance for Boston because the issue with him in the playoffs so far, when he's had these poor performances, it's been his confidence. He's been hesitant to shoot sometimes. He's been hesitant to attack. And I think Boston let him sort of find himself a little bit. You know, he hit that almost half-court heave at the buzzer at the end of the third quarter. But to me, the big three from him that sort of turned it around was the previous right possession. Like possession right before that, that, right. Yeah, he came down and hit a big one right there, and Steph was pointing at him. Yeah, and you just saw, you could see it sort of snowballing for him. And then to start the fourth quarter, it was more of the same. I think that getting him going is huge for the Warriors because he defends better when he plays better on offense. And now, like, you know, and it's not that he's ever going to be a plus defender. He's never going to be an average defender, I don't think. He's too slight, and the instincts aren't there, but it's not due to lack of effort. So when he gets going on offense, it does seem like he, his intensity on the defensive end comes up some. His hands sort of deflect more balls, but the offense is why he's out there. And he's got to be able to do what he did in that third quarter and at the beginning of the fourth to stay on the court because he's going to give it up on the other end. Right. But you can live with it as long as he's cooking on offense because he's going to open up stuff for other people as well. But so him finding his confidence, terrible for Boston. Yeah, bad news. <laughs> bad news for Boston when there's another Awful. weapon the Warriors can go to offensively. And we haven't even seen, you know, an Andrew Wiggins big time performance yet. Maybe we see one of those coming up on a mid range game where Boston starts to shut down uh, on the perimeter. Uh, let, let me ask you this because the Warriors, I think, coming into this series, what you look at with them throughout the course of this postseason is they identify, and they do this maybe as, as good as any team in basketball, identifying who they can attack on the offensive end. They say that guy's the weak defender. They were doing it to John Morant now, saying he can go for 50 if he needs to go for 50, but we're going to bully him when he's on defense, when he's the primary defender, especially if you can switch him on to Steph Curry. Boston, I looked at, and I was like, I don't know if there's anybody on this roster that you can time after time, possession after possession, game after game, go at and sort of exploit them defensively. What have you seen from the Warriors in where they're finding success on offense? Because they have done it for, for two straight games now. They just fell apart at the end of the fourth in game one. Yeah, I mean, Boston's starting lineup, when it's fully healthy, because, look, man, Rob Williams isn't right. We, that, we're not putting asterisks on anything, but for all of this analysis, that is a, a huge looming issue. Rob Williams not being healthy has changed Boston's defensive strategy, but also just the quality of, of defense. But they don't have a weak link under normal circumstances in their starting lineup. And you can start to look at the bench – Grant Williams is a bit of a liability because if he gets switched on to Steph, he can't hang. Peyton Pritchard, he did okay, I thought, in game one, especially in that fourth quarter, staying in front, staying attached, but got exploited a little bit in game two because, again, the, the, the idea is the best defenders are able to do it over and over and over. And guys like Peyton Pritchard, eh, they, can, they can do it a couple times. Daniel Tice, it was too much Tice, but again, because of Rob Williams. And I even think Horford, who started the game pretty strong defensively, he was doing a good job of chasing Steph around. I think that as the game wore on, you could see that fatigue setting in. And this is where Steph Curry is just so much better than everybody else. He's in probably the best condition in the entire league. When you look at how much he moves, how much pressure he continues to put on defenses with and without the ball. The guy never stops. And he's doing it on both ends, which is nuts. But all that pressure and all that work that he puts in for a team that doesn't have a lot of depth. I mean, the Boston has seven guys, eight guys that they can play. It spells disaster for them. So I think for the weak link winds up being conditioning. 
And that's not to say that Boston isn't a well-conditioned team. They just don't have a lot of guys. So Steph Curry really wore him down, I thought. And, and yet again, a big third quarter. And so you throw out that huge shooting performance, and it's like, okay, they've maybe they would be more tired. I mean, the Warriors look tired at the end of game one. And game two, not quite the same. So what did you think about this series coming in, and where are you now uh, after what we've seen for, through two games? Because, again, we kind of ran through that. The Celtics, you know, through three quarters in both games, if you were to time travel back to the end of the third quarter in game one, we're going, yeah, Warriors, they're just cruising to another game one victory, and they're going to get one on the road in this series. However, the Celtics handled business. They did what they needed to do, and they don't need another road game in order to win this thing out at home if they need to through six games. So where are you now versus where were you coming into the series? Well, game two is what I expected in game one, to be honest with you. And like you said, if that fourth quarter doesn't happen, that's what we would have gotten in game one. If, if they didn't hit every single three that they threw up, just about, then it's a different story. And, we, and all the analysis is probably swinging the other way. But as far as my expectations, I thought this was going to be a close series. I never thought Boston was going to be able to score with, with the Warriors, and I, I think you know that third quarter or those third quarters that we've seen is, is indicative of that. Sometimes the well just runs dry for Boston, and it tends to be like you know Tatum starts settling for step backs and, and things of that nature. And, I, and one of the big changes from Game One to Game Two for the Warriors was you had more Draymond Green up at the point of attack, so he was disrupting their offense pretty early. And and the longer Boston takes to get into stuff, the more that plays into the way the Warriors want to defend. So it's playing out pretty close to the way I expected it to from a strategic standpoint. I, I think that as far as the results and outcomes, I don't really care uh, compared to you know what I expected, but it's being played about the way I expected. Before we let you go, what, what, what did you think of the uh, the way Draymond was officiated or not officiated on uh, on Sunday night in Game 2? I mean, you, you know this is the stuff he's going to do. You know at times they're going to let you. It's like in the NFL. There's so much pressure on those officials to keep games under three and a half hours that defenders know, I can hold, I can hold, I can hold. Then when he throws a flag, that's sort of the line that I've, I've brushed it up against. We know in the playoffs and specifically in the finals, they allow guys to play more physical. There were some ridiculous plays and some ridiculous moving screens from Draymond. It sounded sort of like the Celtics were you know, whining a little bit about it after the game. I kind of thought they had a gripe with the way the game was officiated. Oh, of course they do, because it's not quite basketball, right? <laughs> um, but the Miami Heat, everyone on their team plays exactly like Draymond does. Part of it is that the complaints don't come out for the Heat because they're not as good, right? But but also, it's the entire team, so it doesn't stand out. Draymond's out there. He's the only guy bullying guys. I mean, there's this one, there's this one the, moving screen. The one where he, he moving screens He's on like four different guys, three guys. <laughs> and I mean, that's the league's fault for not calling it ever. Draymond's been doing this for the whole run. Now, I, I think it's bad basketball, but I also don't want the officials stepping in and and you know doing anything but calling fouls. So call that a foul and get it cleaned up. Or get out of the way. You know, the, the dust up with, with him and Jalen Brown, to me, was just nothing. And then they wasted our time with this review. Look, man, technicals and fans rooting for technicals. That's worse than the technical itself. I, I'm sorry, man. But if you want to, it's like rooting for parking tickets. Yeah, do great, Get out of here, man. Call. What are we doing? <laughs> 
<laughs> That's a great call. It's sad. I know. It's sad, I know. Man. It's because he's so demonstrative, and, and, and because the Warriors have been on the national stage, and part of this, this happens with any dynasty, right? You get sort of dynasty fatigue. Even if at some point they're the hero and they're the new fresh team and you love them, eventually you just get sick. Like, people were turning on, on Pat Mahomes last year. You know what I mean? I'm like, dude, this guy's one of the most likable guys we've had in the NFL in the last generation. And people they are, turned on Draymond in year, year one of one, this run, they're done man. And they're, they were tired They're of already it. fed up with Draymond. Listen, I, look, should Draymond maybe take it down a notch? Yes, absolutely. He's flirting with disaster here with these officials as it is. He's got the reputation. But is he going to push as far as he can? 100%. And it's the finals. Now is the time to do it. If the referees are not going to call those moving screens, he's going to keep doing them. So I, I don't know why people would be mad about this. It's sort of like Jason Tatum, like flopping for contact, trying to get free throws when his shot's not falling. Uh, I don't see the same fans that are that are rooting for technicals for Draymond complaining about that. And, and I, to me, they're the same thing. They're part and parcel of the same problem. When you want the referees to help determine the outcome of games, you're the problem. Yeah, less officiating is what we want. We don't. Yes. We, we like again. I, I'm not. You know, if I if I'm a Celtics fan, I'm upset about how that was officiated, and I'm also with you. Where I'm like, yeah, man, officials, hands off. Just allow the game to, to unfold and, and play itself out, because ultimately it will play itself out. And it turns out those plays were inconsequential over the course of this game. It's a a thirty point blowout. It didn't mean a whole lot. And there were thirty one combined free throws in game one. Awesome. That's fantastic. There were 37 in game two and most and a lot of game two was garbage time. I mean, the entire fourth quarter was essentially garbage time. So more free throws is bad to me. The first half of game two was a bit of a slog personally. Now it went fast, but the free throw like the free throws are an issue. So I, I just get the refs out of it. I don't want to see any more technicals. I don't want to see any flagrants. Just let them play basketball, but it takes two to tango. Draymond is really, really bad, <laughs> but the Celtics are also bad uh, about the whole ref thing. So, you know, let's just play basketball. I will say any incident that, that leads to a, a professional athlete after the game saying he tried to pull my pants down is okay by me. As long as I get that sound bite, that one, that one made me laugh. He's like, hey, he tried to pull my pants down, so I don't know what that was about. But uh, then he moved on to Jalen Brown. Dave, always fun catching up, man. Uh, we'll definitely talk to you again once, once the, uh, the NBA Finals wraps up and we get into the offseason and summer league. Thanks so much, dude. Yeah, absolutely, man. Great stuff from Dave DeFore. Make sure you're listening to him and following him all over the Athletic Podcast Network. You hear him on the Daily Ding. He does the Nerder stuff. He's all over uh, for all your basketball coverage, and he's going to be out in Vegas for the Summer League. So once the NBA Finals wraps up, make sure you're paying attention to everything at Dave DeFore here on The Athletic. Thank you to Dave. Thank you to Brian, my producer. And thank you to you, the listener. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever it is you're listening. 49ers and mandatory minicamp underway for this week. They have excused Jimmy Garoppolo from attending that mandatory minicamp, which just more evidence that he will get moved as soon as he is, uh, is able to throw and able to show teams that he's able to play in 2022. Also, the San Francisco Giants take on the Dodgers in San Francisco for the first time this season. All stuff we can talk about in the days ahead. Until Friday, enjoy the week. We'll talk to you then. 